Welcome to the Leadership Drives Podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Welcome to part two of our interview with Shari Bear of Jewish Home Life in Atlanta, Georgia. If you didn't catch part one, it's worth going back to listen. Now, let's pick up where we left off. Typically, when you're having conflict with families, what is it usually about? Um, care and money. So, uh, you know, senior care is really expensive. And um, knowing that, you know, you're paying, you're, you're paying a premium for something. Um, and then feeling as if your family member is not getting the care that you yourself would give them. It's hard to give up control of the care. You know, that is, that is a very um, valid point of view. So if you've, if you've got your grandmother living at home with you, nobody is going to care for her as well as you will, mm-hmm. you know? And so to be able to hand that off to somebody and have that, you know, say to that person, you know, I want you to care for my grandma, you know, the way I would and, and trust them to do that. And, you know, for us, you know, we provide the best care that we possibly can, but we're not perfect. You know, there might be a time where, you know, Mom falls and she presses the call button and the person who's supposed to get her is in the middle of giving a shower to somebody else. And they can't leave that person in the shower to come see what's going on. So they have to radio somebody and that might take a minute longer if they're on a different floor. And, you know, every minute when you're laying on the floor feels like an hour. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're not perfect. You know, it's not one-on-one care unless you're giving care in your own home. And, um, and so, you know, that tends to be where the conflict is. Um, dementia is another thing, you know, it's hard to, you know, when your family member is saying, you know, Hey, someone came into my room and stole all my things, you know, did that really happen? Or was that, you know, maybe a hallucination and how do you, how do you determine? So, you know, we, you know, we have supports in place, you know, we have security cameras and all of that. We can go back and look at tape and find out what's happening. And, um, sometimes families don't want to see that their loved one is declining. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's hard because um, there is no cure for dementia and dementia is brain death. Mm-hmm. And so every day it's, yeah. So you might have good days, but it, it doesn't ever get better. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's really hard for families. My own family is a great example of that. You know, it's hard to see your loved one declining and you know that, you know, he just knew this yesterday or, you know, he's not a wanderer. And then suddenly, and then, yeah, it's, it's tough. I had a great aunt who was in a facility. She became combative toward the end. Mm -hmm. And that actually uh, triggers my next question. I felt sorry for the staff because auntie was a bit rough. So what happens um, to your staff members who are dealing with people like my aunt? I mean, one day they called, she really had hit somebody really hard. Mm -hmm. So how does the staff protect themselves? Sure, sure. So we do a lot of training. So we, um, at Jewish Home Life, we use a, a dementia care and engagement philosophy called I'm Still Here. And the idea is very thumbnail, is that, uh, you know, that a person with dementia, no matter their level of memory loss, there's part of them that is still there. And that if you engage them in a meaningful activity, they will be unable to exhibit some of those signs. And we also um, train our caregivers to get ahead of those signs. So for example, you know, we need to know why she was being combative. So, you know, did somebody, you know, is she in a wheelchair and somebody came up behind her and started, you know, moving her to take her to dinner without kind of getting in front of her and saying, hey, you know, 
it's time for dinner. How about I escort you there and kind of, you know, because when someone comes up behind you, it's scary, you know, um, or if they have a nightmare and, you know, are still kind of in that place. So um, we do a lot of training with our caregivers to um, help them understand those signs and get ahead of it. Um, but, you know, dementia is dementia. And sometimes those signs aren't very obvious and, um, you know, it just happens. So we support our caregivers as much as possible. If something like that happened, and it does happen, our caregivers get hit and then they come back. And that's the amazing thing. Is <laughs> and then they come back. That's the calling. That's what I'm telling you. They come back because they know it is not this person's fault. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we always hate to say it's the dementia, but it is. in some cases it is. This person wouldn't have ordinarily been like that. So what we need to do is create a safe and loving environment for this person. So they and engage them in a way that they will not feel the need to be aggressive. And, um, you know, sometimes that is, you know, um, uh, you know, um, psychotropic um, medicine, you know, um, and, you know, we do our best to um, reduce the, the amount of dependence on those types of meds, but sometimes they're necessary and for their own peace of mind, because that resident doesn't want to be combative. They're scared and probably angry. And, you know, to help them through those emotions, um, they might be scared because they think their family members abandoned them when their family member had just been there an hour before. You know, you just don't know what it is. So kind of being a detective and getting to the bottom of that um, is important. And we do some training on that as well. But um, but really, you know, we do our best to support our staff. Um, you know, when that happens, you know, they go to the workers' comp doc and, you know, and and we, you know, pay for medical expenses and, and all of that, of course. But, um, but, you know, they come back. They're, you know, Indeed. because of what they do, they're willing to come back and try again. It's, you know, like just like a baseball player who gets, you know, hit with a baseball when they're up at bat, they come back. Mm-hmm. you know and um because we know that we're doing the work that needs to be done gotcha question so when you start talking about staff and they come back the staff members who actually do leave what's the most commonly cited reason for their departure pay mm-hmm. pay and just burnout mm-hmm. um you know we uh you know, we do our best to, you know, pay what we can pay, but, you know, there are limits to that. We are a nonprofit. Um, we had a situation where a brand new community um, was built um, right down the street from us, and it's luxurious. Mm-hmm. And um, and they were recruiting staff, and not just from us, but from everywhere. And they were paying, you know, $2 more an hour than everybody else. Of course you're going to go. The the trade-off for that and why we were getting employees to come back ultimately is the work-life balance. So, you know, you can have a community that pays more, but the staff to resident ratio is going to be a lot higher. So we staff here at Jewish Home Life, um, we have a uh, lower staff to resident ratio, which makes it so, for example, um, in our memory care community, we have a staff ratio, I think it's of one caregiver to every six residents, but the regulation, I think, is one to 12. And so if you get $2 an hour to go to a community where it's one to 12, um, you're going to be running around like a crazy person. And so, you know, with us, even if you're not going to be paid the most out there, you're going to have a little less stress in your work day, and that's going to translate into better work-life balance. And so for us, the work-life balance piece is what we try and um, and encourage our caregivers to um, to look at and see. But really pay, you know. What are some other things you've done from an org culture perspective to mm-hmm. – Make it an attractive place to work because when you said it could go up to twelve, I was like, "Yeah, I'm staying here with the six. <laughs> so what's hard though? Yeah. 
So um, I also want to say too, you know, a lot of people leave because of their manager. You know, when you when you're a nurse, you know, they don't teach you in nursing school how to manage people, mm-hmm. um, and so you have to kind of learn that on the job. And so um, one of the things my organization just did this year is we did a whole series of management training. It was like a three month series, and I think they're doing a second one um, where once a week all of our mid level managers went through management training and how to you know effectively you know, um, you know, do plan a correction and how to, you know, talk to somebody who is having personal problems and, you know, just how to, you know, lift people up, you know, especially women, mm-hmm. women managing women, you know, I hate to say it that sometimes, you know, and it's for women and men, but people, there are some people who feel that they need to step on in order to step up. And, you know, that whole philosophy is out the window with us. I really think that I, to your point, I love the fact that you hesitated with that because mm-hmm. I feel like I struggle with that too. I've never, I've only had one female coworker who I hated. I asked God to kill her. I, <laughs> I was like, she doesn't have to suffer. You can make it quick. I hate her. But in general, I often hear people say that women tear each other down. Oh, it's terrible. I'm like, oh God. I never want to be that. I I once swore I would never work for another woman again. And I know I have to turn in my feminist card for that and I feel terrible about it, but I swore when I became a manager, I would never be that person because women should be lifting people up. Like it's taken us forever to get where we are. And then COVID just knocked the wind out of our sails. You know, how many women left the workforce? and we're coming back in now with a vengeance, thank God. But I... Um, what are some of the things that that last woman boss that you hated, what are some of the things that she did antagonize you? You know, I... Um, not allowing me to... You know, I don't like being micromanaged. And, I, you know, I think that's probably pretty common. Um, you know, not, you know, taking credit for projects or, um, or, you know, micromanaging me to the point where I couldn't be creative in what I was trying to do. And I'm in a creative business. So, um, you know, really, um, not providing opportunity to grow Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, and again, not giving work-life balance, you know, I have a child with special needs. And so there are times where, you know, I need to come in late, come in late and I'll stay and work late. But, you know, I had a manager who didn't appreciate that and wanted me to stay, you know, get there right when she got there at 8 a.m. And no matter what time I left, I had to be there at 8 a.m. And, gotcha. you know, so um, but, you know, I've since changed my stance on that a little, uh, maybe with maturity. I don't know. But um, but I, you know, there are men out there like that, too. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, it's not pie. You know, I know that's very cliche, but like we can all rise together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think to me, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever been given is you hire people smarter than you mm-hmm. um, because they make you smarter, mm-hmm. you know, and if I can't learn something from somebody that works with me, then, you know, why are they there and why am I here, you know, and so, um, you know, I really... I put a lot of trust in my staff. And I think that um, with this management training that we're doing here at Jewish Home Life, I think that has been the um, overarching philosophy is, you know, empower your staff, you know, empower your staff so they can grow. And, um, and you know, I have tried to live by that and I hopefully I have. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I love watching, you know, uh, Miriam, our executive director here at the nursing home, like watching her grow into this new role of hers has been tremendous. She has blossomed and the people she's brought up with her have been tremendous because they, 
they know what it's like down here. And they, you know, they, now that they've moved into this new position, they're giving opportunities to everybody. And, you know, watching, you know, a CNA, you know, who's in nursing school and then comes in as an LPN and then moves up into an LPN supervisor. I mean, that's just amazing. It's a tremendous opportunity to watch that journey too. You know, it's interesting too, that you talked about this training for your middle managers. I don't know how much reading you like to do, but I do a lot of road trips. So I am the audiobooks queen. <laughs> Almost everything that I've read over the last two to three years speaks to how your organization's culture is a reflection of your front and middle managers. Mm -hmm. And if employees don't report that they have confidence and trust in their relationship with that middle manager, almost everything else is tanked as a result of that one relationship. You could pay well, you could do all the things, but if that relationship is broken, it's like the connection to the organization as a whole is broken. Absolutely. They're a reflection of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think we um, have, have started over the last year or two to take that very seriously. And some of that's been feedback from the staff about, you know, we do exit interviews. So why did you leave? Oh, I hated my manager. Okay. Why'd you hate your manager? And then a whole litany of things, you know, she lies, she doesn't, you know, document when I do good things. She, you know, um, gives me the terrible shifts, you know, and okay, well, how do we fix that? You know, how to, and we decided that training was the way to do that. I want to just dig with that a little bit too. So when you say to a manager, Mylena quit last week and she said it was you. Hmm. How do you get that person not to check out, not to become defensive? I mean, the person left, you can't retaliate, mm-hmm. but how are you also dealing with that? And then the second question is, how are they responding to the training? So um, I can only tell you, so one of my middle managers actually went through the training and she absolutely loved it. So I'd gotten feedback from her that was just anecdotal. Um, My understanding, though, is that um, the managers who've gone through the training have found it incredibly positive because it's given them direction. It's, you know, because they... They don't know how to react. You know, when something happens, they get a call out. This is a, a huge issue in any senior care organization, the call outs. You know, oh, my, my kid is sick. My car wants to start. I missed the bus, whatever it is. And, um, and how to deal with that when you have someone who is a great caregiver but keeps calling out. And mm-hmm. they don't know what to do. They haven't been given the tools yes. to, you know. And so, um, so the appreciation for actually being able to, okay, here are the three steps. You know, you got the verbal, you got the written, you got the final warning, and, you know. And then, you know, how does it work if someone's insubordinate or somebody, you know. Now they're given a roadmap to be able to do that. And, you know, there's always the gray area of, you know, when does the situation come up? You know, how do I react? But um, but I think what we've been able to do is give them a... Um, a direction on like who to go to, who, who can mentor you for those, those times that it doesn't work. You know, um, I, I've been fortunate in, in my job here that, um, I've always had really good mentors to, to lean on, but not everybody does. And, um, we've been trying to create that here. So, um, you know, I, I, my understanding is that, um, they've been taking to it really well. Um, but you know, we just finished the first cohort. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see six months from now. Okay. You know, of those people, how many of their staff have they been able to retain? And, um, but you know, it's, it's tough when you're, you know, dealing with people who, you know, are, you know, having trouble making rent, you know, and have to take a second job because $15 an hour might be a livable wage, but is it really, you know, it's as much as we can afford to pay, but you know, when you've got childcare and rent and car or bus, you know, like, uh, you know, if we have to be flexible in that 
we have to know what our employees are going through at the time in their personal lives to be able to understand. So a call out might be a call out because, you know, they can't get here. And, you know, does that mean their supervisor needs to go jump in their own car and go get them and help them find childcare? I mean, we did that during COVID. We, we partnered with a, with a daycare, not a daycare, a, uh, it was actually a, um, what's called a Jewish kids groups. It's a nonprofit in our community that uh, does summer camps and stuff to have them come here and do daycare. So our caregivers could actually come to work, you know, um, you know, you have to do those things. And so a good manager, um, I hope has, this has been imparted in the management training, but a good manager will really dig into their personal lives and say, you know, how can I help you help us? You know, I think that's actually a good perspective to have. Like when you said that we partner with daycare, I'm thinking, I don't know how many organizations have done that kind of thing. But if you think about it, these on-site daycares, gyms, that's really what that is, trying to figure out how to make the employee's life better. I think that whole train of thought, though, is really it. How do you make your employee's life better? Um, Because if you're asking them to be fully committed um, they've got to trust that you have their backs mm-hmm. in some sort of way. That's right. That's and right. If they don't trust that, then they're always going to be looking for something better. Mm-hmm. And now you're worried about turnover and all the things that go with that and other right. particular problems. A um, couple more questions. Um, I'm curious about this. So I'm going to share with you the five common conflict styles. Okay. I would like to know which one is your default style, even if you've learned to control it. Right, right, what's right. What's, what's mine? Right. So the first one is uh, it's called competitive. Those are the people, they make a point, they'll fight you to the death to get their way, mm-hmm. no matter how it costs you. <laughs> the next group is accommodating. Um, these are the people who give in to the competitive people because they're just uncomfortable with the fight. They are a little bit different than the avoiders. The avoiders are people who won't fight with you, at least not in a way that you recognize that they fight. Um, I tell people avoiders are not passive aggressive. They are aggressive. They're just not fighters Mm -hmm. in that that fiery kind of way. Then you have the um, compromise group. Those are the folks you give a little bit. I give a little bit. And then you have the people who are in the collaborative group. Let's see if we can figure out what the real request issue is. And maybe we can reframe this whole thing. So they're coming at it in a way where they're very just different in their approach. So review real quick. Competitive fight to the death. Accommodator, they usually give in to people who are much more vocal. Uh, Avoiders, they just they're not going to deal with all of that. Then you have your compromisers and then collaborators. All right. So. My digital manager would probably say <laughs> I'm the first one, the competitor. The competitor. <laughs> but I would like to think that I am the collaborator, the one at the end, um, okay. because I it's always my personality. I like to dig into a problem, find out kind of the reasons why I'm, I'm a big, you know, why are we doing that? Why? Why is that happening um, to figure out the core the core root of a problem and then figure it out. Um, I also like to work together with people trying to come up with solutions, but yeah, if I'm passionate about something like it's on, it's on. (laughs) I try not to be, but I can be a little stubborn, but I I know I'm right. (laughs) Are you the same at home? Um, Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, I choose my battles at home. Gotcha. Um, having a son with uh, special needs, sometimes it's the battle is just not worth it. You know, I can, you know, I, uh, I can, you know, I'm, I'm a, what I consider a good enough parent, but there are some occasions where, you know, 
is what he's wearing to school today really going to matter? And who does it matter most to me or him? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I can let it go. But uh, hopefully I haven't put too much competitive on my on my kids. <laughs> gotcha. What are you doing? And by the way, this is my second to last question. Mm-hmm. How do you prevent burnout personally? And how do you encourage your staff to take care of themselves to prevent burnout? So... Um, I, um, I keep saying work-life balance, but that is really, really important to me. You know, there, uh, there was a time, particularly during COVID where I was working probably 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I just don't think that's necessary anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know if that's age or just, you know, um, I'm not personally saving lives here. You know, I'm helping people, but you know, what I do is not life or death. And so um, I try and, um, and share that with my employees. Now, you know, somebody posts a terrible review about one of our communities at 2 a.m. and I get the notification, I'm waking up at 2 a.m. and I'm, you know, writing a response. But, um, but I really try and keep work-life balance at the forefront. You know, if my employees have something going on with their kid, with their mom, you know, to me, family is the most important thing. So, um, cause I know that's the way I would want and that's the way I act on my own. So I can't act some way on my own and then not expect them to do that too. So, um, I try and, um, lead by example. I don't know if that's, um, too cliche, but, um, but for me, that's how I avoid burnout is, you know, I spend time with my family. I, um, I try and keep it into perspective, you know, how much work I'm doing and what the priorities are. I mean, there are some days where, you know, I have 10,000 things on my list or maybe 10 things on my list that I have to get done in the next 24 hours and I'll push through and get that done. But the next day I might be like, okay, you know, I'm going to come in late. I'm going to go running. I'm going to, you know, um, but, and I expect my employees to do the same. Whenever you decide to leave here, whenever that is, Mm -hmm. what do you want your legacy to be? (sighs) Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I want my legacy, I guess, to be that um, I did everything possible to help the most families um, and whatever that means um, that I, you know, I, I, I don't know what that means, but I, I, I want I want to leave here with people thinking, wow, she really made a difference in the lives of a lot of families. And that's how we're going to move forward. We're going to make a difference in the lives of a lot of families. Indeed, that is fantastic that you want to make a difference in the lives of families. Yeah, it's hard. Aging is hard. Mm-hmm. And we don't have answers and you don't have money. Like, where do you go? And so, you know, it's a little bit of MacGyvering, trying to come up with solutions to, so the more I can do that for people and, you know, and patch together, okay, well, you know, if you, you know, get more to mobility here and you meet them at the doctor here, and then you can, you can afford, you know, five hours of home care here, then maybe you could do a day program here. And, you know, it, just connecting people um, with things that they didn't maybe know about before. I think that's really, that to me makes a difference. That makes me feel good. Indeed. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your time. This has been fun. Indeed it has been. I have learned a lot, believe it or not. Uh, Your podcast is fantastic though. So I can't wait to go back now into the history and go see all the other ones. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, share with your family and friends, And be sure to tune in to the next episode of The Leadership Drives.